Gospel according to Mark. On the first day of the feast of unleavened bread, when when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man will meet you carrying a jar of water. Follow him. Wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Then he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make the preparations for us there. The disciples then went off, entered the city, and found it just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. While they were eating, he took bread, said the blessing, broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it. This is my body. Then he took a cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood of the covenant, which will be shed for many. Amen, I say to you, I shall not drink again the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Then, after singing a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Today is the feast of Corpus Christi, right? Uh, So the body and blood of Christ. And I would love to launch into many theological discussions about why we believe what we believe. Uh, And there's a lot of good evidence for it, right? We we don't just come up with these kind of crazy beliefs uh, that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ just out of thin air, right? Uh, come up, wake up one day and just say, oh yeah, this is a good idea, right? It comes from uh, much. And I'll just give one quick um, argument for why we believe that it's more than just a symbol of his body and blood. God's word is creative. So when God speaks, things happen. We see this in the book of Genesis. When God says, let there be light, there is light, right? When he says, let there be You know, water, there's water, right? His word is creative in the fact that it causes creation. Jesus is God. We we find that out. The disciples don't necessarily understand that completely, but Jesus is God, and we see that throughout his ministry. When he says things, things happen. He walks on water. He controls and calms the seas. He is God. And so when he says, this is my body, this is my blood, he is making it his body and blood. So even though that it doesn't turn into the physical qualities of the fleshy, accidental qualities of his body, it becomes at its very substance, at the very uh, soul of the bread and the wine becomes the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. And why do we believe that that we can have that today? Well, one of the maxims or one of the, the phrases of theology, specifically in Catholic theology, not so much in Protestant because there's a sola scriptura understanding of doctrine, but within Catholicism, we understand that actually even before Scripture existed, There was something else that gave us our doctrine and our faith. And what that was, was actually the liturgy. 
And there's this phrase called lex orandi, lex credendi. Lex orandi is the law of prayer. Now, the law of prayer is the liturgy, right? Because we have a law that governs us in how we pray the liturgy, how we pray as Catholics. Not a law that's meant to bind us, but a law that's supposed to help us, right? To guide us, to give us on how to celebrate the liturgy. And that liturgy, that law of prayer, actually forms our law of belief, credendi, what we believe within our creed. Because even before we formulated a doctrine and a creed, before we formulated uh, and pulled together scripture and decided what was canonical and in the Bible and what wasn't, we had the liturgy. And we see this because even in the early church, St. Paul, which is some of the oldest writing of the New Testament, speaks about communities celebrating the Last Supper. He talks about people who don't celebrate the Last Supper according to the way that they should and eat and drink unworthily and drink, eat and drink condemnation upon themselves. We see that St. Paul at the very beginning in the early church before Scripture or doctrine, or anything was decided, the Last Supper was celebrated because Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. So even though that they didn't understand everything, they didn't have a formulated creed, an understanding of transubstantiation, or exactly what it was, they knew that it was important, and they started celebrating, and it started to be formed in the law of prayer, And that started to form our understanding of what it was. Kind of, in some ways, discovered what Jesus gave us through the Holy Spirit guiding the church and the people in that prayer of the church. Now, this this phrase, lex orendi, lex credendi, helps us to formulate in good ways what we believe. But it also, unfortunately, sometimes has negative effects. Because it's also uh, personally, I think, applied. In how we pray affects what we believe, right? Not only as a church, but also individually. And this is unfortunately one of the most uh, damaging things in our modern church is that so many people pray so poorly. That they decide that I want to pray the way that I want to instead of the way that God wants to, and they have created God in their own image instead of being formed in God's image, right? And one of the ways in which this is true, especially for Catholics, is that a majority of Catholics who profess themselves as Catholics don't believe in the true presence of the Eucharist, that the Eucharist is the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That in polls, a majority of Catholics who identify as Catholic say that it's It's just a symbol. It's just something nice that we do. Now, I'll I'll give a little caveat to that statistical data. Is that statistical data is for those Catholics who identify as Catholics. Now, just because they identify as Catholics doesn't mean that they do anything, again, kind of in the law of prayer. It doesn't mean that they're doing anything in prayer. And I hope that the, the group that I have here today is a different group than the 100% of those who identify as Catholics, right? Because there's a lot of people who identify as Catholics who aren't here today, right? You've come here today because there's something that you 
believe, right? And your law of prayer says, I need to go to Mass, right? I need to go and worship God. And so by the very fact that you're here in, the, in your prayer means, hopefully, that that's also informed what you believe, right? And so I would say within the subgroup here, I hope that's not the case. In fact, I assume that's not the case. That, in fact, I assume that a large majority, if not all of you, I hope, believe in the Eucharist being the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ. That is something more than just a symbol. And that's why you're here today, right? That's why you sacrificed your Sunday morning, woke up early, and came here. Now, for myself, this lived out in good ways and bad ways. I'll give you one example in which the way in which I was forced to pray, the law of my prayer as I was growing up, which was you go to Mass every single Sunday, right? We had 7.30 Mass, so every single Sunday morning we went to Mass. And when we traveled, right, it's really easy to be able to say, well, we're traveling, it's a little bit difficult, we don't know the area, we don't know the community, so we're just not going to go to church. But for my parents, it was, no, we're going to go to church no matter where we are. And we took a lot of camping trips and, and, and traveled to different places. And we always searched out to the best of our ability, even before there was easy internet, right, to be able to find a place, right? And we, we searched it out and made that sacrifice to be able to do that. Now, that formed me. It still didn't make me want to go to Mass, okay? I still complained and, you know, kind of went begrudgingly. But later, when I was on my own, it formed me in my belief in what I understood. And I didn't understand what the Mass was for, but I knew that it was important, right? Because the law of how I had prayed, the law of my formation, helped me in what I believed. Even if I didn't understand and couldn't formulate completely my belief, what I had done, what I had been formed in, formed what I believed. And the same thing for ourselves. And so it's so important for us not to just kind of say, oh yeah, well, whatever, you know, that the law of how we pray is incredibly important. How we approach Sunday Mass is incredibly important for what we believe. How we celebrate Sunday Mass is one of the most impactful things on our faith in what we believe. And so for myself, as uh, the, the pastor of this parish, one of my biggest focuses as we get out of COVID is to try to focus on the Sunday liturgy, the way in which we celebrate the Eucharist more than anything in our parish. Because there's nothing more important in our parish that we do than to come here and to pray every Sunday together. It's one of the most in, informative parts of this. Now, it's not... Again, I continue to want to make this point is it's not the homily that's the most formative part of this. The homily, I think, is the lowest point in the liturgy because it is it is my interpretation and helping you understand the liturgy. Right. So I'm explaining the liturgy. So that means that the liturgy is more important. The scripture is more important. The Eucharist is more important. The homily is here to support all of that, not to be the main part of the liturgy. And that's important for us to understand. I want to give one last one uh, last practical um, 
one last practical explanation of one way in which we pray that forms us in our belief. One thing that I notice that a lot of Catholics do, but don't necessarily understand, is the genuflection. We know the genuflection, right? Because it's a, it's a Catholic thing. We do it often as we come in and out of the pew. However, we don't always understand what it is. And I find one of the other hard things is that often adults know that they're supposed to do it. And they assume that the children are going to learn how to do it just because. Just because they do it. And so I see this on occasion. And again, I know that it's incredibly difficult uh, to pass on the faith. And maybe you've already uh, told them. But I, I know that this happens often because I see it not with every family. But I'll see the parent come in, right? The parent who's maybe helping the family get here to Mass. And they come up and they genuflect before they go into the pew. And then the rest of the family just follows in right behind without genuflecting. Now, why is that? I think it's because it's difficult to pass on the faith. I think it's sometimes we feel uncomfortable with things that we don't necessarily know the purpose of. And so if the genuflection has never been taught to you, it's never been explained to you, you don't necessarily understand it. Well, why do we genuflect? We genuflect, like I mentioned at the beginning of Mass, not to the front of the church. It's not our ticket in and out of the pew. It's actually our acknowledgement of our Lord Jesus Christ, especially present in a particular way in the Eucharist that is present in the tabernacle. And so if you enter a church that doesn't have a tabernacle, that Jesus isn't present, you should not genuflect. And if the tabernacle, for whatever reason, is in a different part of the church, you don't genuflect towards the front of the church. You genuflect to wherever the tabernacle is because you're genuflecting to Jesus Christ in the tabernacle. That's the purpose of it. And why do we genuflect in the way that we do? Well, we genuflect not on the left knee, but on the right knee. Well, why? Well, the left knee was often given for kings and queens, especially in the Middle Ages. And the right knee was specifically reserved only for Jesus Christ, for God. And so our right knee is reserved for Jesus Christ. And so we give him our right knee. And so when we genuflect, we don't curtsy. It's not a a short bow and kind of bending of our knees. But if you're able to, to the best of your ability, it should be, uh, I always, whenever we're doing... We've got command PT and different things, or if I go to the gym and do lunges, I always like to, you know, say that I'm practicing my genuflection, you know, we got some extra weight and everything. Uh, it should be similar to a lunge, if it, you know, like uh, where you're, you're not doing a physical exercise, but you are, you know, being upright proper, you're being dignified in it, you're looking at the tabernacle, you're acknowledging Jesus Christ within it, and you're allowing your right knee to go down to the floor, right? Down to the ground. You're humbling yourself before our Lord Jesus Christ. And then on, on some occasions, uh, the optional part is to make the sign of the cross. And I know many people do make the sign of the cross. If you watch me genuflect. I often don't make the sign of the cross. I often make the sign of the cross uh, as come in with the holy water. Ideally, if we had holy water, that's another, again, thing that we do in prayer that should be a prayer that we understand that we make the sign of the cross with the holy water. And so then when I genuflect, I, I just genuflect and specifically focus on the knee. Now, that's optional. So it's good if you do it. It's just you don't have to, right? 
So, but the main part is, is that you do genuflect uh, to the tabernacle and that you understand within that. Now, specifically, it's not every single time that you move around within the chapel. It's when you enter and leave the space. So if you notice, when I come in, I try to come in through that door to kind of know that, often let the choir know that I'm almost ready or sometimes do different things, and I'll often genuflect on that, that corner and then walk back. And then when I come back into the space, I'll genuflect again. Um, that's because I've left the space, right? I've entered and left the space uh, kind of in that space. So the way in which we pray, how we know how to pray, what we do within this liturgy is formative, even if we don't understand it. And I hope that part of us, as we enter into the prayer of the church, this liturgy, the law of prayer, that we can be formed in our beliefs and continue to know and understand and believe and live out our faith in a greater way. This time of the liturgy is not just a time to be able to put our punch card in and say, yep, I care about God, I don't understand, you know, I'm, I'm just in and I'm out. But instead, a time to be formed in the way in which God desires to be, to be, to lead us in prayer through the law of our prayer, through the law of the liturgy, through the church uh, that gives us this liturgy and the way to pray.